before we get into our message for this divine hour, I would just ask that you bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us here to worship you today. And as we speak about the cross of Christ again, and as we see the matchless charms of Jesus Christ, I just pray that the message of Christ and him crucified will be lifted up, that the messenger will be lost sight of, and that we will have a clearer picture more than ever of who Jesus is and how he wants us to live our lives. So we thank you for the privileges you've given to us. May we set aside any cares or distractions from this world, and may we focus on what you would have us to hear. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The title for this message is the 1888 message and the cross of Christ. And probably one of the most familiar verses in all of scripture, John 3, 16 and 17, we could say it by memory, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And that is the essence of the message for this morning and really of the entire week. That God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn us. Do you realize how many Christians and even Adventists feel like they're walking around facing an avenging, condemning God? And yet God sent his son into this world to save us, not to condemn us. And the 1888 message was a very special message that God sent to his church in the year 1888 through two messengers, Dr. E.J. Wagner and Elder A.T. Jones, who both ended up becoming prominent ministers in the Seventh-day Adventist church. And I want to read to you a statement. It's actually a personal testimony by E.J. Wagner, who was one of the messengers of this message. And he wrote this letter in May, on May 16, 1916, shortly before he died suddenly of a heart attack. And he wrote of an experience that he had at a camp meeting in Healdsburg, California in 1882. Notice what he says. I began my real study of the Bible 34 years ago. This was 1882. At that time, Christ was set forth before my eyes, evidently crucified for me. Notice he had a personal experience in seeing Jesus as his personal crucified Savior. Continuing, I was sitting a little apart from the body of the congregation in the large tent at a camp meeting in Healdsburg, California, one gloomy Sabbath afternoon. I have no idea what the subject was of the discourse. Not a word nor a text have I ever known. And I might add, the person who was speaking at the time he had this experience was none other than Ellen White. He continues, all that has remained with me was what I saw. 
Suddenly, a light shone round me, and the tent was for me far more brilliantly lighted than if the noonday sun had been shining, and I saw Christ hanging on the cross, crucified for me. Now listen, have you heard about Jesus being crucified without realizing that it was for you that he died? And listen, this messenger of the 1888 message has an experience where he sees Jesus, Christ, hanging on the cross, crucified for him. He continues, in that moment, I had my first positive knowledge, which came like an overwhelming flood that God loved me and that Christ died for me. Have you felt that overwhelming flood of love in your heart? Has the crucifixion of Jesus produced that response of love in your heart, seeing that God loves you like an overwhelming flood? John 3.16 isn't just a cute little verse that you memorized in creator rule. It's a real experience. Continuing. God and I were the only beings I was conscious of in the universe. I knew then by actual sight that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. I was the whole world with all its sin. You see, at that moment, Elder Wagner saw that his sin alone was enough to put Jesus on the cross. And despite that fact, despite the fact that he saw his utter sinfulness, he saw the overwhelming love of God in his behalf. That he would send Jesus to die, evidently crucified for him. And that's from the book of Galatians, by the way. He says, I am sure that Paul's experience on the way to Damascus was no more real than mine. I resolved at once that I would study the Bible in the light of that revelation in order that I might help others to see the same truth. I have always believed that every part of the Bible must set forth with more or less vividness that glorious revelation of Christ crucified. Listen, when we present the truths of Scripture, it must set forth the glorious revelation before the people of Christ and Him crucified. And we talked about that on Tuesday night for those of you who were here. Now, this message, obviously the 1888 message, one of the key messengers had a deep personal experience with Jesus where he saw that Jesus died as if he was the only one in all of the world that put Jesus on the cross. And it produced a response of love in his heart for the love that he saw from God on his behalf. Now, what does Ellen White say about the 1888 message? This is Testimonies to Ministers, page 91, written in the year 1896, just eight years after the message was first given. This is what she says. The Lord in his great mercy sent a most precious message to his people through elders Wagner and Jones. Notice how she describes it. It's a most precious message. Well, what makes this message so precious? The message was to bring more prominently before the world the uplifted Savior, the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. 
Now, this is 1888, 44 years after 1844 and the Advent movement takes off. And here, Ellen White is saying a message was needed to uplift more prominently Christ as the Savior for the sins of the whole world. What had happened to the Adventist church at that time? At that time, what the ministers were predominantly preaching about was the law, the law, the law. And you could go to church on Sabbath and you would hear an excellent sermon on the Ten Commandments, on the law of God, and how God's people must keep the law, must keep the law, must keep the law. And all of that was true. But it had left Jesus out. God's last day church had somehow left Jesus out of its preaching. And so God had to bring elders Wagner and Jones with a message. Continuing, she has more to say. This message presented justification through faith and the surety. It invited the people to receive the righteousness of Christ, which is made manifest in obedience to all the commandments of God. Now notice this. This message didn't downplay obedience but it brought the sacrifice of Christ into its proper place, into the message that had been forgotten. Now, I may say this. Sometimes in places where I go, various places around the world, we have no problem talking about the cross of Christ, but we've forgotten about the law of God. And you hear people say, well, I'm thankful that Jesus did it, so I don't have to. Listen, they go together. The sacrifice of Christ and obedience to the law but you can't have one without the other. Continuing, many had lost sight of Jesus. They needed to have their eyes directed to his divine person, his merits, and his changeless love for the human family. Wow, we need to spend more time thinking about the divine person of Jesus. We need to spend more time thinking about his merits and his changeless love for us. All power is given into his hands that he may dispense rich gifts unto men, imparting the priceless gift of his own righteousness to the helpless human agent. Now she continues. This is the message that God commanded to be given to the world. It is the third angel's message, which is to be proclaimed with a loud voice and attended with the outpouring of his spirit in a large measure. Notice, this message of Christ and him crucified, of a message of the righteousness of Christ made manifest by obedience to God's law, this is the third angel's message will be, which will be attended by the outpouring of the latter rain. And notice, the reason why the third angel's message has power is because Christ and him crucified is at the center of that message. When we talk about the three angels' messages, if the cross of Christ isn't at the center of it, we've missed the message. Yes, there's the patience of the saints, the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, but we're going to see in this message how the cross of Christ brings out each one of those three elements in the third angel. Continuing on, the uplifted Savior is to appear in his efficacious work as the lamb slain sitting upon the throne to dispense the priceless covenant blessings, the benefits he died to purchase for every soul who should believe on him. 
Continuing on, the message of the gospel of his grace was to be given to the church in clear and distinct lines that the world should no longer say that Seventh-day Adventists talk the law of the law, but do not teach or believe Christ. Listen, if anyone should teach or believe Christ and, and give a clear exposition from the scripture about Jesus, it should be Seventh-day Adventists. And if we're only known for keeping the law, we've missed the boat. And then continuing, the efficacy of the blood of Christ was to be presented to the people with freshness and power that their faith might lay hold upon its merits. And if you read stories from the history of that time when Jones and Wagner would give their message where they would point people to the merits of Jesus and of his blood, people would come away from those meetings saying for the first time, you know what, I actually believe that Jesus has forgiven my sins. I feel the forgiveness of God in my heart that I had never known before. I thought I had to work really hard to keep the law, but I didn't have any assurance that my sins had been forgiven. And Ellen White would commend Jones and Wagner. She would say, thank you for lifting up the cross. Thank you for pointing people to Jesus and his blood so that they can have faith in his forgiving grace. And not only that, they were very clear on his overcoming grace as well. I like how she says that the blood of Christ should be presented with freshness and power so that we by faith can lay hold upon the merits of the blood of Christ. And then, I think that's all I'm going to read from that quote. So basically, Ellen White says this message was a most precious message that God sent. It uplifts Jesus as the sacrifice of the sins for the whole world. It brings the blood of Christ out with freshness and power. It's the third angel's message that will be attended with a loud cry at the end of time. And at the end of the day, she, she used a phrase to describe this message. She says that it brought out the matchless charms of Christ. And I would ask you today, have you met your Savior Jesus with his matchless charms for you? Have you met the most wonderful, loving, amazing being that exists who came to this earth because he loves you so much? Have you met Jesus and his matchless charms. Another thing Ellen White said that this message did it was, was that it laid the glory of man in the dust. Because you know what human beings do? We start to think that, man, we're pretty good. Look at this organization that we're running. Look at the power that we have. Look at the people who follow what we tell them to do, and we're in control. We must be pretty good. And, you, and, you not, and that doesn't just apply to church leadership. That can apply to you in your home or at your work or wherever you may be. It can apply to those of us who stand up before the people. And we might say of ourselves, wow, I'm sounding pretty good these days. Forgetting that it's the message, not the messenger, that has the power. Never praise the messenger. It's the message that is to point people to Jesus. It's the message that gives any preacher his power. That's where the power comes from. And this message pointed people to Jesus in such a way that they would say, 
I don't matter. The only thing that matters is that I give my life to Jesus and hopefully his character will shine forth through my life and people will see Jesus when they see me. I don't care about power. I don't care about fame. I don't care about wealth or prosperity. I just care about following Jesus who has shown me his matchless charms and there is nothing else, no one else that can come close to such a savior. And that is the message that is still needed in God's church today. That message has not lost its relevance. And I want to look at a few passages in Scripture, specifically from Isaiah chapter 53, that show us just how beautiful of a Savior that we have. Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And this is a messianic prophecy, by the way. This is the prophecy that the Jews have a very hard time with because it's in the Old Testament. Verse 2, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Listen, our message is not about show. Jesus wasn't about show. Jesus was simply about showing the character of God, which gave him his power. Notice verse 3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Listen, if you think you have sorrow and if you think you have grief, go to Jesus. He knows what sorrow is like. He knows what grief is like. He was rejected throughout his entire 33 and a half years with precious few people actually choosing to follow and believe him. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Here we clearly see that Jesus died for our sins. And we see that the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And then we see why we needed him to die. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus is a perfect Savior. He has taken upon us, uh, upon himself our sins. And there's more that we could say. But that paints somewhat of the picture of an amazing Savior who came to this world to die for us. Now, I want to get into the heart of our message now. Talking about the sacrifice of Christ and of the fruit that it's going to produce. In John chapter 12, verses 23 and 24, Jesus describes one of the reasons why he died on this earth. Isaiah 53 shows us Jesus died because we all have sinned and our sins need to be forgiven. So our sins were laid upon him. But that's not the only reason Jesus died. You know, there were several reasons Jesus died. Here's another reason in verses 23 and 24. John chapter 12, starting in verse 23. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Now, when Jesus is saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified, what's he talking about? 
He's talking about his death on the cross, and it becomes very clear in the next verse. Notice what Jesus says. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. So Jesus is saying the hour is coming that the Son of Man will be glorified just like when a corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies. I will die on the cross and in that moment I will be glorified. But why in this passage, does Jesus say he needs to die? Notice what he's saying here. He's saying in verse 24, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. In other words, if the corn of wheat does not get planted into the ground, it will stay by itself and it won't produce any fruit. And I am like that corn of wheat. I need to die because when I die, that death that I will die is going to produce much fruit. Now think about this. When Jesus gives an example, he's not just choosing something out of thin air. He has a very specific meaning. This is what Jesus means. I am the corn of wheat. When I, as the corn of wheat, and planted in the ground in death. There will be a harvest someday of fruit that is just like the seed that was planted. And the way that seed is produced is the same way, or it will, will bear the same resemblance of how I died. I died on the cross, and the, the seed that is produced will have gone through a similar death to produce a similar fruit. And let's think of it this way. When you plant a kernel of corn in the ground, when that corn comes up, you have first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. When it is ripe, those kernels of corn bear a striking resemblance to the seed that was planted. And what Jesus is saying is that because of my death, there will be a harvest of people who look like me. Because of my death on the cross. Now, I want to read to you a, another statement, again from... Ellen White. This is Manuscript Releases, Volume 21, page 37. I made reference to this the other night. Hanging upon the cross, Christ was the gospel. Did you hear that? Hanging upon the cross, Christ was the gospel. And then she continues, now we have a message. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Will not our church members keep their eyes fixed on a crucified and risen Savior in whom their hopes of eternal life are centered? This is our message, our argument, our doctrine, our warning to the impenitent, our encouragement for the sorrowing, the hope. For every believer. In other words, keep your eyes on Jesus on the cross because hanging on the cross, Christ was the gospel. Continuing, she says, 
Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He whose eyes are fixed on Jesus will leave all. He will die to selfishness. He will believe in all the word of God, which is so gloriously and wonderfully exalted in Christ. Notice this. When you keep your eyes on Jesus, who is on the cross, you will die to self. You will become a living sacrifice, just like Jesus. So that as Jesus dies on the cross, we die to sin and selfishness and become living sacrifices. And the corn of wheat that was planted now starts to produce fruit in your life after the likeness of Christ's death. That's the power of the gospel that we receive forgiveness, but that we also have transformation. Now, what I want to show you now is specifically how the message of a crucified Savior will produce fruit in a special group of people in the last days. And these passages that I am going to take you to are passages that were used frequently by the 1888 messengers Jones and Wagner. And I believe that these verses show us even today where the power of the gospel message is that will produce a harvest at the end of the world. And the first verse that I want to take you to is a verse that you probably know by memory, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and you are going to see a theme in all of these verses that they connect to the cross of Christ. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and this verse says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice what you have here. When it says, I am crucified with Christ, there is the acknowledgement that Christ was crucified. So when Christ is crucified, those who follow him are crucified with him. So the seed is bearing harvest. Do you see that? Jesus dies on the cross. He is the corn of wheat planted in the ground. And when we choose to become living sacrifices and follow him, we are crucified with him. And notice the message of the verse. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Now, if you were here last night, you would see that is the mystery of God in Revelation 10, 7 and Colossians 1, 27 of Christ in you, the hope of glory, which we saw last night is the third angel's message and the cleansing of the sanctuary. When Christ lives in us, because we have chosen to let him come in, we live by the faith of the Son of God, which is the faith of Jesus Christ. That's part of the third angel's message. So notice this. You connect the faith of Jesus, which is part of the third angel's message, to being crucified with Christ, and you connect that to the cross of Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, we talked about this Wednesday night, 
Humanly speaking, he could not see through the portals of the tomb. He couldn't see past it. Because he was separated from the Father, he didn't feel that the Father was with him. And humanly speaking, in his humanity, he could not see past the cross because he, was, he felt that sin was so dreadful that the Father could never take him back. But by faith, he remembered the goodness and mercy of his Father, and he rested in the love of his Father, and that sense of separation was withdrawn, and through faith, he overcame that feeling. And when we are crucified with Christ and Christ lives in us, there may be times in our lives where we don't see any way out. We feel like our sinful nature is bringing us down, that the old habits and temptations of sin are going to continue to weigh us down as long as we live. But by faith, we believe that the same God who delivered Jesus through the experience on the cross will deliver us as well. And in fact, Romans 6 says that we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ raised, was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. That's the faith of Jesus. And so we see that as Jesus is hanging on the cross, he is an example to us in faith to not trust in what you feel, but to trust in what you know about God. Don't let circumstances dictate how you relate to God through faith, because faith will overcome feeling every time. So Jesus, as he is working to produce a harvest, he is working to produce a people who will be crucified with him. And as we are crucified with him, we experience the faith of Jesus. Now the next verse I want to take you to, another very familiar passage, and we're going to spend even more time on it this evening, so come back. But I'm just going to mention one key point from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Here we read, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about, with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, in this passage, the Apostle Paul, the author of Hebrews, commands us to run with patience the race that is set before us. And he says, listen, you can run this race with patience because when you look to Jesus as the author and the finisher of our faith, how did he run the race? It says he endured the cross. And you realize that the the way this word is translated in English, in the Greek it would be he patienced the cross. But we don't say patienced, we say endured. But in the English, you, so in the English you take patience and you say endured, but in the Greek it's the same word as patience. So when we're called to run with patience, other translations say run with endurance because it means the same thing. 
And here's the point. When Jesus was on the cross, he is a demonstration to us of patience or of enduring the cross. Therefore, we are called to run with patience. You may be saying, life is tough. The trials are thick. How is it possible for me to get through this trial? And Paul is saying, run with patience the race, the life experience that God has set before you and keep your eyes on Jesus. The author and finisher of your faith, he endured the cross. He demonstrated patience on the cross as the king of the universe, the Beings that he created are crying out, if you be the Son of God, come down from the cross and save yourself. And if he could endure that, by his grace, we can run with patience. And that is the second element, so far, of the third angel's message. On the cross, Jesus was a demonstration of patience. And that's right there from Scripture. And there's one other passage I want to show you. This is Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. This is also speaking of Jesus' experience on the cross. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. Notice what Scripture says. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. Jesus is saying, look, I'm not here to continue the sacrifices and offerings of the old dispensation. A body has been prepared for me to be a living sacrifice. And we are to be living sacrifices. Now notice, so this body that has been prepared for him, continuing in verse 6, in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. But notice verse 7. This is Jesus speaking. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. So here Jesus is saying, when I came to this earth, a body was prepared for me to be a living sacrifice crucified on the cross, and I have come to do the will of God. Now, do you realize that the Apostle Paul is quoting from the Old Testament when you come to verse 7? Where is that found in the Old Testament? Psalms chapter 40. Verses 7 and 8. Psalms chapter 40, verses 7 and 8. And you'll see very clearly that this is a direct quote. So turn to Psalms 40, verses 7 and 8. And here we read. And this is um, David giving us a messianic prophecy here. This is before Jesus came. Hebrews is after Jesus came. Psalms 40, verse 7. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me. You see the similarity there? It's a direct quote. But then verse 8 changes just a little bit because Hebrews 10 says, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. But notice how it is said in Psalms 40. He says, after I've I've come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, verse 8, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, or yes, thy law is within my heart. 
Notice this. Jesus is saying, I come in the volume of the book or in scripture as it is written of me to do the will of God. Yes, I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. You know what the will of God is? God's law in our hearts and minds. And Jesus, here on this earth, a body was prepared for him to be a living sacrifice, to die on the cross. And as he is dying on the cross, he is the very expression of the will of God, which is God's law, his character written in our hearts and minds. As Jesus is dying on the cross, he is a demonstration of God's commandments, God's law, as he is dying on the cross. And you know, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 10, God's law and the heart and mind of Jesus, because he came to do God's will, wasn't just for Jesus. Do you realize that that's the new covenant experience? That Jesus is our great high priest after he died on the cross, he ascended to heaven, he is the mediator of a new, a better covenant, and his purpose as the, new, as the priest of the new covenant is to write his law into our hearts and minds the new covenant. So notice this, if you make the connection from Hebrews 10, verses five and through seven, this is what you can say. Jesus came, as scripture says of him, to do the will of God. Psalms 40, verses seven and eight tell us that the will of God is God's law written in our hearts and minds. And if God's law is written in the heart and mind of Christ, you can clearly say that Jesus kept the commandments of God. And he is working to write his law into the hearts and minds of those who will experience the new covenant. Those who experience the new covenant will also keep the commandments of God. Notice what we have just done then with Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross. Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. When I am crucified with Christ, Christ lives in me. I live by the faith of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 12. As I run with patience the race that is set before me, I look unto Jesus who endured the cross, who demonstrated patience as he died on the cross. And in Hebrews chapter 10, we see that Jesus had a body prepared for him to be a living sacrifice, to die on the cross. And as he died on the cross, he was a demonstration of the will of God, which is God's law in the heart and mind, which is a keeping of the commandments of God. Do you realize what Jesus demonstrates for us on the cross? Jesus demonstrates for us on the cross the experience of the third angel's message. Because the third angel's message in Revelation 14, 12 says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. In other words, in Revelation 14, John the Revelator sees a group of people who look just like Jesus because they have the patience of the saints the way Jesus endured the cross because they keep the commandments of God the way Jesus did, and because they have the faith of Jesus the way Jesus exercised and demonstrated faith. And so if you want to know why the third angel's message is so powerful, 
It's because the third angel's message is a proclamation of the life that Jesus lived on this earth. And so when Ellen White says, hanging on the cross, Christ was the gospel, you could also say, hanging on the cross, Christ was a demonstration of the third angel's message. And the reason why the preaching of the third angel's message has so much power is because it is a call to accept the power of the gospel to become a demonstration of Christ and him crucified, to become a living sacrifice. That is the power in our message. Listen, we don't need messages that say, Jesus died so I don't have to surrender. No. The reason why the cross is so powerful is because the cross is a call for us to enter into a life of surrender, of being crucified, of running with patience the race set before us, of being a living sacrifice, just as Jesus said, a body you have prepared me so that you can write your law into my heart. That's our experience. We're to be living sacrifices with the bodies that God has given to us so that God can write his law and his heart into our minds. And this is why Ellen White says in Manuscript 15, 1888, about the 1888 message, there is much light yet to shine forth from the law of God and the gospel of righteousness. This message, understood in its true character and proclaimed in the Spirit, will lighten the earth with its glory. There is coming a day when the message that was first given in 1888 will have a hearing again among God's people because Revelation 18 is yet future. That means the 1888 message hasn't done all that it was designed to accomplish. We have not yet seen the earth lighten with the glory of God. But when we do, it will be because people have seen Christ in him crucified, Christ enduring the cross, Christ as a living sacrifice with the law written in his heart. And we will say, that's what we want here. I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I will be crucified with him. I will run with patience the race that he has set before me. I will offer my body as a living sacrifice through his power and through his grace so that he as the new covenant priest can write his law into my heart and mine. And when God has a generation of Seventh-day Adventists who have such an experience, Revelation 14, 12 will be fulfilled when scripture says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are a group of people that endured their cross the way Jesus did. Here are they that keep the commandments of God. Here are a group of people that are living sacrifices who have allowed their bodies to be crucified on the altar of self so that God can write his law, his character into our hearts and minds. Here are they that have the faith of Jesus. Here are those who are crucified with Christ, who have allowed Christ to come in so that when the trials of life come, rather than relying on self, we rely on the faith of Jesus. And I am so thankful that the Lord, in his great mercy, has given such a message to us as a people. We are not worthy. 
We are that group of people in Revelation 3 described as causing Jesus to want to spew us out of his mouth. Yet God is so merciful and so loving that he gives us a message so that we won't stay that way. He gives us a message so that we will see the matchless charms of Jesus and so that we will say we want to be like Jesus, not because we have any power, not because we have any strength, but because as we choose to follow him, he will give us the power, he will give us the grace, he will give us the strength, and we can live a life knowing that our sins have been forgiven through the freshness and the power of the blood of Jesus and also knowing that he has power to allow us to live a transformed Christian experience experience. And so as we come to near the end of our series, we have one more message this afternoon. It is my hope and my prayer that as we have gone throughout this week that you have a clearer picture of what it means to be a living sacrifice, of what it means to follow a crucified and risen Savior. That crucified Savior was a demonstration of the third angel's message here on this earth. And he has given it to us to proclaim the good news of that message to a lost and dying world around us. And if you want to be part of a work where you surrender your life to Jesus, so that he can do a work in you that will produce the third angel's message in a way that will cause you to say, you know what, there have been things in my life that I've been hanging on to that have come between me and Jesus, that have come between me and allowing me to, it's been preventing me from being a living sacrifice. There's still things that I'm hanging on to. Maybe it's music that I'm listening to, programs on TV that I'm watching that fill my mind with filth and trash. Maybe it's food that I'm eating that clouds my mind so that I can't hear the voice of God speaking to me. And you realize the reason why we have standards is not to save us. It's so that God can speak to us. Because if you're listening to to the devil's music, if you're watching the devil's program, if you're eating the devil's food, he's clouding your mind so that God can't reach you. And listen, eating the healthy foods, that's what we should be doing, but that doesn't save us. That simply allows God to stay communicating with us. And we want to be in clear communion with God. And so as you've heard these things, and as you've thought upon being a living sacrifice, you're saying, now more than ever, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to be a living sacrifice. I want to be crucified with Christ. And by his grace and through his power, I choose to stand with him today. I would invite you to come down to the front of this sanctuary, and we are going to have a special prayer. This may not be for everyone, but this is a special appeal for those who say, there are things in my life that I want to surrender, that I want to give to Jesus, that I want to lay on the altar, and I am going to allow my life to be a demonstration of Christ and him crucified. I would invite you to come down to the front at this time. And we can praise God that Jesus is a merciful Savior who was constantly drawing us to him through his love, through his mercy. And as we see Jesus hanging on the cross, we see a demonstration of the gospel. We see a demonstration of the third angel's message. And as we see such love, we say, I want that too. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the power of the gospel 
A gospel that teaches that you died for our sins through your son, Jesus. That forgiveness is readily available. And that cleansing is also available. That power is available. And that just as Jesus was a demonstration of the third angel's message on the cross, we can experience the third angel's message as we become living sacrifices. Lord, I pray for each one of us, forgiveness for our sins. We are not worthy to even stand in your presence. But we thank you for Jesus as a mediator that allows us to come boldly to the throne of grace. And that we can receive mercy and obtain grace in our time of need. And I pray for all who have come forward. And I stand with them that we would surrender our lives fully and completely, that we would be crucified with Christ so that the experience of Christ on the cross will be lived out through our lives, that we will be a demonstration of the third angel's message here on this earth as we go forward to meet the final crisis of this earth's history. We thank you for the message that in your great mercy you have given to our church. And may we faithfully proclaim it. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. May God go with you. And this evening, in our last message, it's going to be, it's going to be entitled The Last Generation and the Cross of Christ. We are going to get even deeper into the experience of Hebrews 12 and the 144,000. So you'll want to be here for that last message. Thank you and may God go with you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.